Here it is, my race recap, the Moab 240. Well, you have a goal time at all? Or goal time is just to uh, just do much, just to do it, man. Just do it, yeah. I don't even think about too many goal times. It changes too much you, to any races. Are you going to sleep much, or are you just going straight through as fast as possible? Or? I ain't sleeping, my friend. <laughs> just so you know, man. I ain't, I ain't sleeping. I ain't out here to sleep, my friend. And that was a moment I, I can look back on now. And uh, that was one of my favorite moments, getting a foot massage by Hayden at mile 62. This is um, a fan of yours, and I'm just calling in to express my admiration. It's Dean Carnassus, the ultra marathon man. Hello, listeners. This is Chris Mako, and we are live. And you're listening to Training for Ultra podcast. This is Anime Flynn, and I'm here talking to Training for Ultra podcast. Yeah, it's like really, I just need to catch up with Rob. 100 miles is not that far. <laughs> I, I thought oh. it was a joke, actually. It, it is. I thought it was one of your jokes, yeah. It is a joke. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so classic. Oh my God, because literally thing would be like beep, beep, beep. Mother, mother, beep. Mother, mother, beep, beep. Mother, beep, mother, beep, 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 beep. One, two, one, two, three, four. <laughs> Training for Ultra Podcast. I'm Sally McRae, also known as Yellow Runner. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra Podcast. Pleasure starting Moab T40 with Goggins. It's going to be his new PR on distance. Yep, nice day out here. Weather's good, but we'll see what happens. You're looking good. You're doing it for a great cause. Oh, thanks, man. I respect the shit out of that, man. So you keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. Appreciate it. It's going to be a fun few days out here. Try to update wherever I can. See ya. Welcome to episode 110 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. And here is my Moab 240 race recap, which also turned into a 401k for cancer research. So let's start off with thanking our sponsors. They keep this all up and running without them. I don't know if this podcast would work, so really appreciate them. Big shout out to the Patreon supporters. If you like my films on YouTube, if you like the podcast, you know, feel free to sign up for Training for Ultra X. It's on Patreon. It costs $1 per month, which is... 25 cents per uh, episode. So if you're really enjoying the content, you know, I roll every single dollar back into Training for Ultra, just more content to inspire you guys. So um, if you like what you're listening to, if you like what you're seeing on on my films, yeah, think about Patreon. It's very helpful. We do have a closed Patreon Facebook group. So big thank you to Hammer Nutrition, if you haven't tried them out, feel free to use my promo code or referral code 252888. You'll save 15% off your first order. I know I just put through an order for more vitamins. I I'm, can't speak more highly of their vitamins. Their CBD products are trustworthy. And oh, I've had a lot of their gels over the Triple Crown. I'm not going to lie. A lot of their Perpetuum. So I'm really excited to take a small break from uh, all of that. But yeah, 
check them out if you haven't already. Um, I really like their tropical gel as a little caffeine. I save them for having just put down late gels, you know, before dark, um, strategic with caffeine. Uh, thank you to Suffervest Beer. They're big supporters. They're helping out with the Amazon TV show. And uh, they, they've they introduced uh, nationwide distribution. So check out their website for their nearest uh, re- retailer. Can hardly speak. Um, they have a new variety pack with Head Start, which is their new beer. It's in an orange can. I love all their beers, but their FKT is special. It's brewed with black currant. Um, so check that out if you get a chance. Big thank you to Exoskin. I use their base layer shirts throughout the entire Moab 240. Just excellent shirts. They're they're some of the higher quality um, you know materials you can come across. I use their calf sleeves quite a bit. I use their toe socks. I think the entire time through Moab 240, and blisters were at a very bare minimum, and. Uh, yeah, I just, I highly recommend them. I use them myself. I could use any sock, you know, made. Uh, and this is the one I choose. And it happens to be that they're also supporters. So it's awesome. If you want 20% off, feel free to use T, the number 4U20 for 20% off Exoskin. Definitely give them a try. If you haven't tried their toe socks and calf sleeves and base layers, um, highly recommend them. Ultimate Direction, I used their waist belt with my Kogala Light. I know a lot of people were asking me about gear-related questions for Moab 240, and I think my biggest breakthrough for the Triple Crown was using this waist belt by Kogala. Anytime I had crew or drop bags, I could use their medium-sized battery and replace it and have this UD race belt that fit perfectly. I didn't need to customize it at all. All the straps fit around perfectly. It was game changing for me. You know, being able to see the trail like I've never seen before. And if you're racing out there, you can turn your head around, look at your competition, and there's no light on your head. It's all on your um, on your waist. So Ben Light was the first guy to recommend a waist belt for this, and I think Ultimate Direction makes a really great one that fits without having to customize anything. But yeah, the Mountain 4.0 vest got me through the Triple Crown, got me through Bighorn 100. It's been a heck of a season, and uh, yeah, very thankful to have Ultimate Direction on board. Last but not least, Destination Trail, Candace Burt, Crystal, the whole team, Riley, everyone, they all come through every race. You know, I, I've really, really enjoyed their race series for the Triple Crown, and uh can't recommend them enough. So if you're looking for race distances and they have all kinds of different race distances, please, you know, check out Destination Trail. They um they have a, a lot of great races sort of on the West Coast. So check them out. So this is my race recap. You know, it's it's been a big season for me. I'm incredibly thankful to be injury free. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, Tahoe was such a one-off weird race, like starting a race 40 minutes late and then having one segment that blows me up and I don't know the, the, the timing of everything at Tahoe, like the slowdown on that one segment then timed out with like the perfect, literally perfect storm. 
that hit me. Um, I definitely upgraded my coat to the Alteryx. Um, I want to say it's Alpha. It was a great coat. It was on sale at REI, and REI sees me every month because I returned my coat. Um, but yeah, I went with um, some higher-end gloves that were waterproof, a higher-end coat. I brought along my puffy jacket pretty much all the time as opposed to just when I needed it because I missed it when I needed it at Tahoe. And for Moab, I upgraded my pants to actually used an REI with Gore-Tex pant. And most of the race, I started off with a Hoka ATR3 from like five years ago. Um, and then I, I transitioned into the Olympus 3.5s that I had that um, Ultra hooked me up with. Big thank you to them. And then I, I resorted to, I just, I bought a bunch of the two, Olympus 2.5s when they went on sale. So I hear really great things about the 4.0s that have not been released yet. I'm really looking forward to the 3.5s that go on sale because I'll stock up on those. I really, really like the Olympus. They have a little bit of cushion to them. And yeah, with the Exoskin uh, toe socks, which I use obsessively in the uh, calf sleeves. It's been a really great combination for vert whenever it goes over 30,000 feet for one race. Having that extra cushion throughout has really helped me. So I've, I've been asked quite a few times, like, what's the biggest change that you've made? And again, just smart training, not getting injured, listening, listening hyperly, uh, closely to my body like anytime i'm sore i'll just take a day off i don't care i'll spend it with my kids um i've been going through a separation for six months now i have not been public about it but i'll share that now it's been drawn out um amiable and you know we're we're trying to really focus in on what's best for the kids but um I've been going through that way before the Triple Crown even started, um, probably even before Leadville, the Silver Rush 50. So I'll be honest with you guys, um, you know, it's not easy having that added stress, but once I make it out to the race course or the, the trails, um, it's a big relief. So that's, uh, that's something I've been going through. It's been hard. And uh, let's talk about Moab 240. So showed up. Um, Jen, a friend from Never Summer, I think I interviewed her as the la- like one of the last finishers in Never Summer, drove because I didn't want to keep a car for one week and have to pay $15 a day. So she drove from Denver up to Moab, and we hit a massive snowstorm we knew it was likely to snow. She brought a four-wheel drive car, thank God, because there were cars like spinning out on our left side, on our right side, and we were like weaving in between in the middle of them in four-wheel drive. And luckily, we got over Vail Pass. They didn't close it. They closed the other side of the freeway, which is sort of weird. Um, but Loveland Pass, that was, that was a sketchy drive. That was a seriously sketchy drive. So... Kudos to Jen for for being a good driver and getting us there safe. It was a big relief getting to Moab. Um, it was quick turnaround. Like we did drop bags, 
And as you heard at the very beginning, I'm going through check-in. Yeah, I gave Jen the camera because Ryan Clayton was uh, a few hours out. He flew into Salt Lake to capture video. Ryan Clayton and I are doing that Amazon video together. And I check in and uh, the woman who's volunteering gives me crap. She's like, please don't be 40 minutes late to the start line. She was just joking with me. Um, super nice woman. And so I go down one, one more spot to get the, uh, tote bag. Every 200 mile race that you do at destination trail, you get like this sort of cool tote bag that has the race printed on the side of it. And I hear, um, the same woman say, what's your name? And, uh, I just hear Goggins. (laughs) So my head just like immediately swung right and up and my eyes were probably bulging like I was a deer in headlights. Um, I had no idea David Goggins was going to do Moab 240. Like I was, I don't know if I just didn't have time on social media to pay attention or what, but I've read the guy's book. I'm a, I'm kind of a, a David Goggins fan in a sense. Like, um, I've just, I, I've, about his story of losing 106 pounds and then getting into extreme endurance events has been kind of a cool story to follow. Um, some people don't like him. Some people love him. You know, please don't send me hate mail either way. I, I just, I don't have time for it. But um, unique experience, to say the least. Going through a packet pickup check-in with David Goggins right next to you. I mean, what are the odds? I am probably one of like 10 people to ever do that before. Um, Talk about intimidation. But I talked to him, as you heard at the very beginning, he said he wasn't going to sleep. I've talked to like the best of the best in ultra running. I knew that plan was a little sketchy, not to sleep at all. So um, I went to bed really early. I got everything set up. Um, luckily Ryan Clayton was on time. We checked in the hotel and, uh, got all the battery situation figured out. If you guys are wondering, having a GoPro on you at 20, 24 seven for the entire triple crown is a nightmare along with having a, a proper video card and GoPro. And that's not even including all the cameras and gimbals and just flying out Ryan Clayton to each of these events and renting him a car is costing a fortune. So I really, really hope this TV show is uh, viewed by a few people because we're taking a big risk. We want to share this story, but, and we want it to be high enough quality that it's not shaky GoPro footage, but it's a really hard balance to have a professional like video editor um, who's going to capture that story correctly on scene for the triple crown it it might never be done again because of how cost prohibitive it is so please please respect that i mean we're ryan and i are taking huge risk on trying to share this experience with all of you guys i really hope to inspire you i'm taking all of my amazon uh book royalties and putting it into this project so um Again, any anyone who buys the book, the profits are just going right into more inspiration. And let's see here. 
So I'm running a 401k for cancer research for Celia, Robin's daughter, who I work with. And that requires me to make a hard decision. Ask yourself, if you're going to run Moab 240, but you need to add roughly seven to nine additional miles so that you run a 401k, are you going to put them at the beginning of the race, at the end of the race? Where do you put them? And I decided to do seven and a quarter morning of the race. So I got up at 4 a.m., got ready, took a quick shower. By 4.30, I was out the door and put in the miles. You know, I ran downtown Moab and felt good. I was already in flow, which is a great sign. And I pre-race, I had a glute and kind of like back of the knee tenderness, tightness, which I've done enough of these races to really know it's hydration and it should go away. So I was really happy to know that it did go away during um, those first seven and a quarter, but it was freezing. I was out there by myself with a single headlamp. And I realized to myself while I was out there, I was like, right now, David Goggins is sleeping. Every single person doing Moab 240 is sleeping. And my running has gotten pretty extreme at this point. I am the only person in Moab running right now, pretty much. I mean, I could see down the entire street both ways. So that was a weird kind of like self-realization how extreme things have gotten. Um, is well worth it. It was worth every ounce of extra effort to raise that additional funds for cancer research. So without a doubt, like I, I wasn't going to question it, but I was more nervous about where do I put these miles before and after the race? And I figured I'd rather know the vast majority of those have been covered off. And so I, I got back into the hotel room and both Ryan and Jen were like, holy cow, you guys, you came back super quick. Cause I did it in like, I don't know, probably an average of 10 or 11 minute pace. And that was very, very like easy conversational pace for me. Again, it was nice being down towards sea level as opposed to Denver. And I was just excited. I haven't, I hadn't run in a week. I was ready to, I was ready to race. And it was weird though, like just leaving my hotel room, running seven and a quarter, then eating a little bit of breakfast and headed out to the start line, got my spot tracker. Showed up the start line, looked around, still didn't see David Goggins, said hi to a bunch of friends. Um, and before I knew it, Candace was having us do her uh, pledge and, you know, the countdown from 10 again, and we were off. And within three minutes, I looked to my left, I'm running next to David Goggins again. It was just like um, super weird odds. Like, I, I swear, I don't understand that one, but... He was very conversational pace. I was too. I we started chatting about our audiobooks and you know, I was complimenting his book because he did a really great job and he tried to do something that no one's done with audiobooks. So I told him about my eighty hours of trying to record my book on my own and we talked about learning disabilities. We kinda hit it off actually. I, I think he really opened up and was super nice to me and I think he really respected that I was running for something more than myself, which we both agreed was like pretty rare in ultra running. Most ultra runners are out there for self exploration, self understanding, 
nothing wrong with that. I, that's what I spent my first three years of running doing. Um, and so it was cool to like kind of hit it off with him. We were just, you know, I thought I was talking too much, then I'd shut up and then he'd start talking all of a sudden. So I was like, okay, good. I'm not being too much of a fanboy here, but yeah. So the first 10 miles were kind of like, <laughs> I felt like I was hallucinating. Um, super weird running with someone that well-known and just being conversational. And, you know, a lot of people were concerned I went out too fast, but an eight 50 pace for me at sea level is, uh, it's actually a pretty easy pace at this point for me. I'm very fortunate to have up my running pace a little bit. So it wasn't anything kind of crazy. I mean, it wasn't even tempo. So I wasn't concerned. I'm not going to botch a f- the 401k. Like what people don't know maybe is how big the incentive payment. It's like f- five figure incentive payment just to finish this race that in- empower retirement is going to donate to this cancer research foundation. So like, I'm not going to blow it up no matter, you know, no matter who's next to me. And we went through the first aid station. Candace was there. I think she posted on social and it was cool to like see where we were. I actually uh, did a quicker turnaround than uh, Goggins did. He, he peeled off after a minute. He's like, Hey man, I, I'm going to go pee. So I kept working up and of all people, I saw Mike McKnight, which is not a good feeling when you're doing a race of this distance, when you're running middle of the pack normally, and you see someone who's laid down like new course records for both Bigfoot and Tahoe. And he, he said, hi, he was super nice. It's cool seeing him as always. Speaking of which we're, we're planning on a group run coming up here next week. Uh, a little local group run, which will be funny to see two guys that did the triple try to struggle through a group run of like 5k. But he said, hi, he's wearing bright orange shorts. It's hard to miss him. And there's a big drone that's like following up this, this big, uh, climb. It's a pretty decent climb. Actually, it's pretty steep. Nothing intimidating at this point. I think after Bigfoot, my intimidation level has gone like way, way down for climbs. Like I can do 30,000 feet of gain and just not even be phased anymore, which is sort of weird, but just being honest. I turned back. I saw Goggins again. Um, I, I warned him about the drone as he was taking a leak, and he was hilarious. He threw down, like, seriously, like, gut-busting jokes. He's a funny dude, and what's weird is I think a lot of people out there might have saw him just with, like, with his game face on and, like, might have been offended. So, I don't know. My My personal experience was kind of kind of amazing kind of fanboyish too but i'll be honest with you you know like how many times you get to run 10 miles with someone like that um so yeah after hidden valley working to amasa back um this lead pack like no one wanted to pass mcknight everyone's kind of freaking out so there's this weird like front of the pack almost elite pack train of people there's probably like six or seven guys that no one wanted to pass mcknight and so i saw that pack take off and then um maybe like five minutes later goggins passed me and that whole group kind of picked up the pace and i was like we're 10 miles in this is a 240 mile race like 
take off guys. I'll, I'll see you around mile 200. Cause I've, I've done this before. I know how long of a race this is. This isn't a day or two. This is like multiple days, even for the winter. So I was hopefully leaning on some experience there as they all took off. And I just focused on the trail, um, focused on hydration, making sure I didn't make any basic mistakes and sort of like taking a step back, like, wow, did that really just happen? Did my Moab 240 start that way? That was super weird and amazing and don't even know how to describe that. Um, but yeah, working my way down to Amasa back, which is um, roughly mile 18, you know, it's a descent over some slick rock and I almost busted my ankle last year there. So I was watching every step really closely. I had no headphones. So, you know, sometimes my pace by myself is a little slower than it should be um, without that kind of music helping me, uh, you know, go into flow. But overall, it was like sort of amazing that the elite pack took off. And then I found myself in this weird spot where no one was approaching me from behind. And I was like, did I go out too fast? Like, where is everyone? I should see some people right now. I didn't see anyone for like a while. So as I worked my way down, which is kind of like a technical descent, um, I ran with some really nice people. We hit the road section and it was just kind of like a flat two miles. Talked to a guy about eating ice cream and uh, how calcium depletion and, and how he was doing the triple also. And we both agreed we were like annihilating tubs of ice cream after these races and the calcium deficiency in your bones and the, the basic um, elements that your body kind of depletes after these super long races is eye opening and needs to be evaluated and carefully watched because you will go in weighing 150 like I was, which was heavy by the end of the race, maybe you lose two pounds or three pounds. You go through this weird wane of all of a sudden one or two days, you'll lose seven pounds. And I think a lot of that is bone density. So you have to be really careful to step on the scale and realize my bones are weak. I do not need to be doing training right now. I need to focus on healthy foods. Um, make sure to take all your vitamins so you're not missing any basic elements. And, uh, it seemed to be routine throughout the triple crown of my body going through this weird depletion mode like, and it's not immediate. It's like a weird delay, but two or three days later, all of a sudden I'd be five pounds lighter and then 10 pounds lighter. And then it's like, okay, like focus. Cause this is getting serious. If you lose more than 10 pounds, like I have to go see a doctor or something. Cause that's more, it's probably more than seven uh, 7% of my overall body weight. But anyways, we had a really interesting conversation. The fact that he was going through something very similar as to what I had experienced during Bigfoot and Tahoe. He had a great, you know, great few races, but seeing my uh, crew, I saw Jen at Amasa back and I had her specifically remind me, don't do anything stupid. Take your time at this aid station. And she was reminding me of last year when I dropped my bag of nutrition doesn't seem like a big deal, but the next aid station that you see crew, at least for this race, is mile 72.3, Indian Creek, which you're on mile 18. 
So it is a sizable amount of time before you see crew, before you see nutrition that you're accustomed to. So this was stick gels in different locations, stick all kinds of bars in different locations. We're diversifying our uh, nutrition. So if we drop one gel by accident, it's not like game over, like a giant bag that ended, almost ended my race last year. So we took our time. We ate extra calories. We knew how important this aid station was. Like it's very like an easy aid station to get to. It's early in the race. But if you overlook a Mossaback, you are totally screwing yourself for the rest of Moab 240. So got out of there, felt really pretty good. Um, Turned on some music, started getting some good leg turnover. Hit mile 20. I was like, no mistakes, no mistakes down Jacob's ladder, super techie, saw Hillary. Like I just was so focused on slowing down because I slammed down uh, Jacob's ladder last year. And really there's no benefit. Like maybe you make up five minutes on any kind of competition in front of you and the risk reward is just way, way out of whack. So I was basically hiking down Jacob's ladder and then once I hit the flats, I was running So I was really on point with that, and I held it pretty good. Made it to the next aid station right around 32 miles in, 33 miles. Knew that aid station really well because last year there was a guy who asked for a hot dog, and I was like, why do you need a hot dog? You're like 50K into this race, buddy. And and the crew was like, oh, or the the volunteers at the aid station because it's crewless. It was like, you know, it's going to be a few minutes before we get this ready. He's like, oh, no rush. That's fine. I'll wait for it. I need the calories. And I was like, what a, what a joke. Like, that's a horrible idea. And then that was the same guy who at mile 50 goes, oh, bud, we're like six and a half miles away from the next aid station at least. And that's when I broke. So ever since seeing that, I actually, I think I had a hot dog there, maybe even two. I wasn't feeling great. It was kind of the heat of the day, but I knew I needed calories. I knew how long this next section was and I wasn't messing around. So I think it was 25 miles from that aid station to Breaking Bad. 25 miles. So a marathon without any aid stations. There was one water only stop and that was it. And I, I mean, I utilized that water station, filled up my water bottles, but the key to this 25 miles is, well, first of all, it's in the heat of the day. So I was wearing um, an extra like uh, cloth basically underneath my hat to block the sun from my neck, keep me cool. And I was eating nutrition that I knew, that I have trained for on you know, for four years now. So that really got me through the section, but that section just sucks. It's hard. I, um, I ran with, uh, Candace's Candace Burt's boyfriend through a lot of that section. We were kind of suffering really nice dude. Um, and there's a few other people, really nice runners. I think some Midwest runners, but it was one of those, like we all kind of were suffering through and it was just the It wasn't necessarily hot out, but it was the exposure that was the hard part of that section. And 
I pushed. We got to a section where I was suffering, and I think we were like three or four miles away, and the sun was setting, it was almost down, and I was just like, you know what, let's suffer a little bit right now, get to this aid station, I pushed my pace. I really, really wanted to get that aid station without stopping, getting my headlamp out, and getting my coat out. And last year was when my headlamp massively failed. I went through like two batteries and in the dark stumbled into Breaking Bad. And Riley was, Riley saw a train wreck of a human show up there and tried to help me out. But this year, I think I was a mile away when it got dark enough. I just got my my phone out and used the light from that so that I didn't have to unpack. I could keep running technical stuff. I think I still kicked a rock or two, but nothing major and ran into Breaking Bad where the volunteers were amazing. I was a little broken like every person that went into that aid station and I took my sweet time. Um, I probably took as much time as last year, except going in, I felt tremendously better. Um, It just mentally breaks you over that period of time. So yeah, I, I took my time, ate a ton of food. I knew what I, what was in store, and I pushed that next section. It was a longer, I think it was um, 15, roughly 15 or 20 miles to uh, Indian Creek, where I was going to pick up Gent as a pacer. She was crewing before that, and I had bonked through this section so bad last year. This was the lowest low I've ever experienced where um, I was with Maria who was like a ghost and I was like a ghost and it was, you'll read about it in the book. It was awful. Um, so the whole time I'm holding back, <laughs> I was so scared of that section this year. I really didn't know what I was in store for and was conservative after Breaking Bad to get to Indian Creek. By the last, so the first 10 miles went excellent. I actually ran a lot of that, and it was mind-blowing because um, I had seen people run that section as I was bonking, and I just couldn't comprehend how excellent of a runner those people were Um, because it's all relative. But this the worst part of that was 10 miles went great i bonked the heck out of five miles so it got bad enough that i laid down on the trail ate a gel looked at the stars it was kind of like i think it was it got cold and that's what really kind of knocked my wheels off was the temperature shift and so i was able to basically hike and jog and just keep pushing forward to get to indian creek so luckily I got there. It took forever. Um, yeah. And I definitely, I was like, Jen, I need to take a quick break to reset. And so I believe that's the point where I took a 45 minute nap. We took some time to reset there. Um, I think that's where it was. I'm trying to recall. I, yeah, I, I think it was Indian Creek. I took a 45 minute nap Got up, felt okay, um, but I was cold, kind of destroyed, and uh, I think Ben Light was there. 
he had he ran a tight ship. He ran a great aid station, by the way. If you're ever looking for aid station volunteers, Ben Light should be one of your first if he offers. So we got out. I felt okay. We started hiking. My legs started loosening up and boom, like I just couldn't reset. So yeah, the next 10 or 15 miles were ugly still. Like I just couldn't get my body to keep going. Um, I don't know what my problem was. So, um, I, I mean, I was like, Jen, I need a seven minute nap. And then like a mile later, I was like, Jen, I need a seven minute nap. Like I kept trying to hit the reset button and it wouldn't restart. And so we just hiked and kept hiking, hiked further. And honestly, it was almost a throwaway section, but luckily Jen got me through it. She's forcing me to eat food the whole time. I hated it for, hated her for it. I didn't, she was doing her job. And finally we got to the island. Um, Kyle Pitari was there uh, with one of his buddies. He had his Jeep all set up for sleep. And I was kind of a disaster at that point. So I was like, Kyle, I need an hour and a half. Like we got to We got to reset here. Like my body just won't jumpstart itself. And so he was, he totally understood that he was a big proponent of sleeping and yeah, it was, uh, the Island mile 87 that Kyle took over as crew. Jen had been pacing and he's a freaking all-star. He got me eight blankets, piled them up. I was just totally zonked out for an hour and a half. Wake up, get food, sit by the fire, and boom, we're out of there. Jen and I take off, and we're running now. Like, my body finally jump-started itself, got restarted, and we're out of Bridger Jack. We're running. Um, and yeah, that section's long. It's exposed. It was hard. I actually remembered the climbs as being harder and more brutal than they actually were. And we just kept pushing. It was a long section of 20 miles um, to get to Bridger Jack, or it was like 15, I'm sorry. Um, so we just pushed, and there was a few times where I just sat down, ate a gel, and Jen was super positive. She was telling me how great I was doing, and um, this section went so much better. So like that's when the wheels started rolling. I was starting to feel good, and so... Finally, we get to Bridger Jack. It's about 103 miles in. And I'm looking at my time. I'm like, man, I think I'm slower than last year still somehow. So I was trying to figure out time, which was hard to gauge. But the big shift was Jen had to take off. Um, no, she didn't have to take off yet. It was it was Kyle Pitari's time to take over as a uh, pacer. And so... Bridger Jack, I didn't take any sleep breaks because I had had that solid hour and a half at the island and sleep is vital to these races. Ate a bunch of food. They checked off everything to make sure I was prepared for a cold night. And Kyle and I just started crunching down, you know, crunching off miles. Like we had to get to Shea Mountain. We knew, we knew what that was like. The segment was the same as last year. I knew it was mellowish few miles and then some steep climbs towards the end and uh we pushed you know we did really really well for the first 
eight or nine miles halfway. And then I just laid down on the side of the trail and I was like, Kyle, I need a seven minute reset. Like, I don't know what's going on. Um, and he said, eat some food and you get your seven minute break. And so I did, I think I slept for five of those minutes, got up and we just started pushing and we did the giant climb. It was slow, agonizing, but Kyle just kept me pushing forward and we did the giant climb there, hit the top, kind of hiked down because it's so techy, but then we hit the road and we were flying, you know, we were running solidly and Kyle was saying like time to push, time to suffer now a little bit because you get a good sleep at Shea Mountain and we had planned a sleep car there and Jen had driven the uh, her car uh, with basically a mattress in the back of it to Shea. So the turn to the right, turn to the right, turn to the right, like my mind was bending to the right segment of the climb up to Shea was okay. I was coherent. I wasn't hallucinating. I had not hallucinated at all throughout this race yet. And it was a long two mile push into the final getting to Shea. Kyle whipped out a song and started singing Celine Dion because <laughs> he knew how bad I was suffering. He was trying to like basically change my brain, um, brain waves there. And at first it was just super awkward <laughs> hiking in the middle of nowhere, uh, being, you know, sung Celine Dion <laughs> by a top 10 Western States finisher. And then I started kind of cracking up and we kept hiking and we made it through. And actually it was shorter, it was much, it felt much shorter than, and, and less torturous as last year. And so I got in, they gave me Recoverite, they had me eat a bunch of food, great sandwich, I think I ate half of it, and I was like, okay, well, this is good, let's go to bed for like an hour and a half roughly, and I'll be set to uh, restart. So I zonk out, close my eyes, don't know if I really went to sleep or what the heck happened? I wake up and I hear a knock on the door and it's either Jen or Kyle. And they're like, okay, time to get up, time to get ready. And I was like, how long have I been out? And Kyle's like, you've been out for like two and a half hours. And I was like, what? Two and a half hours. <laughs> like I would, I don't know if there's a miscommunication there or what happened, but two and a half hours was an hour beyond what I was thinking, um, was my maximum sleep allocation there. So, I was a little frustrated, but you know what? I felt amazing. I felt energetic. So I was like, okay, like I'll give it to these guys. Like it's not going to be a great race. I just slept a ton of the race there. Um, so the next 13 and a half miles, or I think it was 18 and a half miles to uh, Dry Valley was amazing. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. The extra hour of sleep, I clicked off... Um, easily over that section an hour quicker than I thought I would. So boom, like I was hammering 10, 11, 12 minute miles basically throughout the whole section. And I beat Kyle and Jen to the next aid station. I text them a message, but it didn't get through at Shea Mountain. They were sleeping, not expecting me for an hour. And 
Luckily, Kyle got or Kyle Ryan Clayton got there really early for video, um, so he was able to communicate the situation a little bit. Um, that yeah, your pacer, your pacer and crew are not there. But yeah, the I would I would say I forgot to mention that out of Shea to Dry Valley, Kyle said because he had been in this bad car wreck. Listen to the last episode if you're wondering what that's about. He's like, you know what? My back's really sore. Like I can't pace the next two segments. Like you're kind of on your own. I'm really sorry. And I was like, Kyle, like you're an elite ultra runner. I totally get it. It's cool. And so it was just me and my music. And I'll tell you, like my energy levels from that extra sleep were just off the charts. Great. And I passed probably 10 people during that segment. And each person I passed looked at me like I was Superman and I I was having trouble comprehending running down, you know, it's 140 miles into dry, dry valley. Um, I felt amazing. I got to dry valley and they're like, you're like, what can we make you? I really wanted an egg and cheese sandwich. That freaking was amazing. Kind of like lit a fire under me. Um, but the aid station volunteer, I was like, hey, did they ever find uh, Goggins? Because throughout this, you know, his whereabouts all of a sudden were kind of like in question. People were joking, asking me if I had asked Goggins to run a 401k already and all that stuff. Um, but they're like, oh, no, he was through here at like maybe 6 a.m. And I looked at my watch and it's 9 a.m. And I'm like wait a second, I'm only three hours behind David Goggins at this point. Like I just assumed he was days ahead of me because I overslept so much. Um, so that's getting to wind whistle. I was like time to hammer. Like I really thought I had paced myself correctly for that last segment and I felt it and I was like, I'm going to push my pace a little bit. I mean, in my head the whole time, I had perspective. I knew I was running 401k for cancer research, and I had a ton of dollars that were at stake. I also thought having a game of trying to catch David Goggins was going to be fun. And so into Wind Whistle, I was hitting consistently, almost every mile was 12 minutes or below. You know, occasionally there would be a 13-minute mile in there if it was uphill or into the wind, but... I crushed that segment and that segment had crushed me last year into the wind. So I got lucky on timing it early in the morning. I knew exactly what was going on and the wind was probably lower in the morning. So I was, you know, I had a dual purpose of trying to catch David Goggins and then, um, taking advantage of the elements like, you know, that the wind wasn't picking up too bad. And so I got into wind whistle I couldn't believe I ran the road section. My feet last year, it hurt so bad. They were just throbbing to the point where I had to sit down. My pacers all hated me. Like, <laughs> Rob, no, don't sit down. Just keep pushing. But my feet were like, I could feel my heartbeat in my feet last year. This year, I was jogging. It was amazing. And people ask me, like, what did you change in your training for that to happen? And I, again, would say, Injury-free training, smart racing, um, and just consistency, building some consistency. But yeah, being injury-free, layering those gains on top of each other, you know, pays massive dividends. So 
yeah, getting to win whistle with a smile on my face was kind of weird. Um, aid station volunteers there were excellent. It was crewless, so you could not have crew there where last year you had crew, which was kind of to my detriment. But I was all focused on Road 46, so filled up my water bottles, had food, and took off. Again, amazing. Like, I could not have written the first half of Road 46, that segment, into, uh, or from Wind Whistle to Road 46 any better, the first half. I did not go into my hyper flow, kind of my spiritual level flow that I had last year. And the irony was like my water was running low. The direct heat was starting to take its toll. And I was suffering a little bit. The exact segment last year that I thought was just like mind alteringly amazing um, was difficult. So I pushed, you know, I, I was running low on water. I was trying to balance my electrolytes. I couldn't figure it out. And then boom right probably two miles on this this climb up my left quad felt like it ripped (laughs) um within a mile i saw howie stern and his two pups (sighs) i pulled over said hi to him told him like Howie, i think i ripped my quad like i knew i was dehydrated I knew I hadn't like been full stride when that occurred, but the pain was so severe. I really thought I tore something and I told, I hiked a half mile until I saw Howie and I was just like, man, I really hope my race isn't over, but I have to hike it into this road 46 aid station because I don't want to permanently damage myself. If I tore anything, like I, I can't run right now. It's too painful. And, uh, yeah, he was kind of bummed to hear that cause he's been along for the whole ride and of the triple crown. He's kind of become a friend at this point, just a really nice guy. And of course he got, he got some photos of that low. That's for sure. But it was a long two or three miles in really painful, just gimp, gimp hiked. Like my right ankle, I felt like I had some. I don't know, something wrong with it. So I I managed to hike my way into road 46. It took at least an hour and a half. I probably showed up 45 minutes later than they had expected. But again, they, they probably didn't fully understand what was going on. I drank probably a hundred ounces of fluids. Um, I told them that salt wasn't working. And I think the conclusion was that I didn't need salt, which Take note of this because I've never really thought about it, but my body wasn't short on sodium because I was using some salt pills. It was short on potassium, probably calcium and magnesium. And so those those other electrolytes are just as important. I had quit drinking fizz as regularly and just thought I could rely and be smart on, on salt pills. But um, yeah, you have to remember that electrolytes are more than just salt. And so I hammered tons of the electrolyte, like the additional electrolytes and packed up and got ready. Ryan, um, not Ryan Clay, another Ryan was there to help me because anime Flynn a few days out, maybe like six or seven days out, just made a tough call that she didn't want to crew or pace. So, um, I went to my trusty Bighorn 100 
pacer and crew Ryan, who is just um, a workhorse, awesome dude. And we knew go, like going in, Pole Canyon was going to be difficult to get to. And leaving, I was limping still. So my left quad was busted. It really felt like I, I had torn something there. And it was difficult. It was super difficult. It was super painful. Every step, I felt my left quad scream at me. And I never in a heartbeat ever thought about quitting. It was, how are we going to tape this so I can hike? How can I tape this so I can run? Like, how how can we modify what whatever to get through this? Because quitting just never entered my mind, ever. Like, I... I told people before this race, this 401k, raising potentially $60,000 for charity. I mean, this is the one race in my life. If I get hurt, if I break, I will still keep going. So I just never in a million years, I never had one thought of quitting. We tried to jog down some of the runnable stuff. It was okay. And it got cold. My limp got more severe. And it was a long, horrible hike to Pole Canyon. Yeah, uh, Ryan wouldn't let me lay down to go try to reset. It's fine. He didn't. He didn't understand kind of that whole concept. He thought I was just trying to trick him or something. And going up was slow. It was technical. It was rough. It was really difficult. We got up really high. We were probably eight, up well above eight thousand feet of altitude. And we got to Pole Canyon. I was like, Ryan, dude, I got to take a nap. And so we were in the heated tent and one of the cots opened up and I slept for an hour and 15 minutes, probably an hour roughly. It was good. I got a bunch of food in me. I took my socks off before I slept and it was enough. It wasn't great, but yeah, it allowed me to focus on, we made it to Pole we have to get to uh, Geyser Pass, mile 202, and this segment was the hardest segment. Um, Ryan and I both knew it. I brought Ryan in specifically because I knew what a badass ultra runner he was and that he could get me through two of the toughest sections of ultra running. It was 16 and a half miles, and we just gutted out the hike. Um, we hiked for hours, and it we looked at our, our our mileage and it was maybe four miles and I felt like we had done 12 and I was like, what is going on? Um, it's only 5,400 feet of gain over 16 and a half miles, but still it felt like 12,000. It felt like a never summer effort between when you leave road 46 to get to Pole Canyon to then get to Geyser Pass, like it felt so again, that's like 30 miles or whatever. It felt like a whole never summer hundred K effort. Um, it wasn't as steep obviously, but it was steep and it was treacherous. There were fall offs all over the place. We got desperate. I could hardly hike. I was, my head was bouncing all around. My eyes couldn't focus. I knew I needed a seven minute nap it was more of convincing Ryan why this is okay and why he should let me do this because he wasn't letting me uh, lay down and take a nap. 
And so we saw another guy who had just taken a 15 minute nap, got up, runs off. And he's like, oh yeah, just a 15 minute cat nap. It changed everything. And Ryan, I think the light bulb went off when he saw that guy. And I was like, Ryan, just give me a seven minute nap. And he's like, you can only have five. And I was like, well, that kind of defeats the purpose. Like I've done this enough times to know my body really needs seven minutes. He finally gives in. I lay down on the side of the trail. All of a sudden I'm dreaming. Like I went into REM. I wake up because Ryan's phone alarm went off. He he slept too, I think. And uh, totally reset. I'm like hyper like hyperactive and ryan's like dude hit a caffeine pill right now and i was like that's an awesome idea so post seven minute nap to then hit caffeine boom it was like the one-two punch that got me going and uh yeah it was treacherous it was really difficult section i can't under i can't over uh elaborate on how difficult it was to get down to the 202 aid station well you go down and then you go up this long road climb but i'm looking at my watch and i'm like ryan tell everyone my goal is 6 30 to 7 30 i want to finish this race in daylight on monday it's celia's birthday i have to see her i want i really want to run through the finish line with her and message her mom and the whole team. I'm going to push. I'm going to do whatever it takes um, to get to them before the sun goes down. And he's like, all right, man, like you're going to have to push. Like that's an average of 15 minute miles. Like, I don't know if you can do it, but I, I know you can give it a good attempt. And so I left the mile 202 aid station quickly and I was excited to be able to run. I think I stripped down all my cold gear because it finally warmed up. Um, I was ready to run. And it was different than I anticipated. It was a 22 and a half mile segment. It went up first. It like went down and then up like I just wasn't expecting. And then it hit the road section. And that road section last year, mile 210 was my best mile of the entire race. And... This year, I hit the road section, and I felt good, and I felt amazing, and the thought went through my head of, you know, you have this this girl who is, it's her ninth birthday waiting, like you need to hammer, and the next eight miles were downhill, like a perfectly downhill grade, and I hammered, and I wanted to get my leg turnover moving. And so getting down to 10 minute pace after you have that many miles on your legs is hard. And so I kept progressively getting faster, faster, faster. And it was right around mile 210 once again, hit that perfect grade. And I turned on a perfect song and I went 930 pace. Then it dropped down to 830 pace. Then it went down to 730 pace. Then I hit 635 pace. And this is mile 210 during the race. So this is more towards my mile 220. And I'm running a six and a half minute pace. Pull back the throttle. It's hard to drop above 10 minute per mile pace, um, minute mile pace, because 
I got my legs turning over. So before I knew it, I was down to that road. Like it was almost instantaneous. And I saw a bunch of cows. It was kind of weird. Um, they were surprised to see me. And I knew the segment. I had to believe in my best judgment because my my uh, phone had died. So I didn't know exactly where I was. So I kept going. It was noon. And the heat was just hammering me. And I, I was it was not efficient to run. So I hiked quickly. Then I hit the road. I kept thinking like, you have to hammer. Like you're not going to get to the finish line before the sun sets. Like you're going to finish in dark. Like you got to run. But it was so hot. And I only had 24 ounces of water on me for 22 and a half miles, which was a big mistake on my part. Kept running, kept trying to inspire myself, staying positive, but it was still the aid station so far away. I get desperate. I'm seeing snakes cross the roads and uh, take the last swig of water. And I'm like, I'm starting to feel woozy from the heat, just direct heat. And I'm like, man. We're rolling the dice here because I could very, very easily just pass out, have to get an IV and DNF and all those thousands and thousands of dollars towards cancer research are going to go down the drain. So I was scared. I totally messed up. You know, I, I didn't bring enough water for that segment. It was long, 22 and a half miles without an aid station or, or a water break or anything. And, uh, I started running out of desperation. You'll see it during the TV show. I was running. I was clipping some pretty good miles there. And it wasn't because I was trying to look pretty running into the aid station. It wasn't because I was trying to impress anybody. It was because I was desperately running for water. And that was the most efficient stride I had on me to hit a quick pace and get down to that Porcupine Rim aid station. So I was fortunate to pick up my pace. I need to go back and check what it even was, but I was hammering down into Porcupine Rim Aid Station and got there and just immediately needed water. I was shaking pretty violently, honestly, until I got a few things of water in me and some electrolytes. Had some food. People were making fun of me because I had two hot dogs. <laughs> but yeah, I was I was burning calories like it was a fire in my my gut i just could throw in anything in there and it would burn hot um my nose was bleeding a few times so that wasn't fun to have to deal with just rub some vaseline inside your nostrils during these races um as simple as that will avoid massive nosebleeds like i had um but yeah matt daniels was there at porcupine rim take me the 16 and a half miles we started off slow. It was, uh, you know, slowly getting our legs to turn over, you know, 16 mi- minute miles turned into 15, then 14. We started picking up the pace, working our way down. Beautiful section, nothing like Porcupine Rim during um, late afternoon into sunset. It was just stunning. It was really stunning. It was cool. We were probably four miles away. He called Lauren, his wife. She said congrats and hi, and I was just staying focused because my legs were getting a little wobbly. I was in roughly 21st place, and all of a sudden we come across a guy putting on sunblock. I look over to Matt, and he knew, and I knew I was now in the top 20. 
And so it wasn't more than three minutes before we were on the last three and a half mile paved section. And I freaking hammered it. Um, I think Matt was a little surprised. Um, I was not getting my coat out. It was getting darker. I wasn't going to get my headlamp out. I was freaking hammering it as hard as I could to make sure that guy knew I was going to stay in the top 20. Um, and so I dropped down below a 10 minute pace on a flat section. And this is mile 247 for me. And my leg turnover, I felt like a sub six minute pace, like in terms of exertion. And I was not winded at all. It was super bizarre. I went into hyper focus, just hammering like I've never done before. Uh, so that continued. I held that effort for the most part for the next two miles till all of a sudden we saw a cameraman and uh, it was Ryan and he had brought Celia out about a half a mile along with Celia's two sisters and the three of us, I mean, Ryan Clayton was capturing and Matt Daniels, we ran, we jogged nice and slow into the finish line and I wouldn't have changed a thing. It was pretty unbelievable to uh to be able to finish that race with Celia was amazing. It was still her birthday. It was a little dark. I missed I missed the uh sunset by about half an hour, but um couldn't have rode it any better, you know, to have been the first person up probably in all of Moab that was running the race and I was running to then take a top twenty to finish probably the most important day of running my whole life to raise all those funds to help families that might have you know come across histiocytosis in the future and not have the resources or understanding of what was going on it was vital that i finished this race i don't know what happened to my quad with 80 miles to go but thankfully it all dissipated and yeah it was, it was truly a special moment looking over that table full of belt buckles. You know, my dad and mom were there. Um, I let Celia pick out the belt buckle and she picked one with a, a bright green leaf with a bunch of little holes in it. And it was a beautiful belt buckle. I don't think I would ever have picked that one for myself. Um, but I, I pulled it aside and I was like, pick one more. Let's compare, you know, like they have you do. And now she still loved this uh, one with the leaf that looked like it had holes um, bitten in it. And that was the one I picked. I went with what she wanted and it was it was a special finish. Yeah, every finish of a 200 special. But when you can finish and know that you've changed people's lives in the future, it has like a... Uh, much bigger meaning and uh just really thankful for all the support throughout i've never had more likes on instagram or more followers on facebook or you know all that good stuff but um when it came down to it having that little smile from uh the now nine-year-old celia made it all worthwhile and it was an amazing experience I have a super exciting announcement um, coming up here for 2020, so get ready. If you think 250 miles was 
a big race. I am excited to announce that I have uh, picked an even longer race for 2020. So stay tuned for that news. And just thank you to all the supporters out there, all the Patreon supporters. You guys probably already know what that race is because I try to give you guys the uh, early heads up. But yeah, just an incredible year. Very thankful to get that plaque with the uh, Triple Crown of 200s on it. I'll soon have a uh, a small tattoo of the Triple Crown on me. And yeah, just incredibly thankful to have finished something that's much bigger than myself. And I, I think each and every one of you guys can um, maybe take something away. I, I don't want to take away self-exploration from you, but um, when you're out there thinking about races, yeah, try to see if you can piece it together and, and do it for a greater cause because it brings your own athleticism to a new level. I definitely, I, I finished in about uh, 84 hours and last year I finished in 96. And yeah, I found myself during those 96 hours, but I improved my time by 12 hours, half a day. And I slept more and felt better and never hallucinated during this entire race. So I'm getting better at this distance. I'm ready to test my own limits next year with an even longer, more epic race or two or three. But yeah, thank you to um, Empower Retirement, you know, a five-figure extra bonus donation to this cause is awesome. And I felt the pressure on my shoulders the entire race. It's a huge relief to have that donation now be made. And uh, if you haven't made a donation, you're thinking about it, you're not a Patreon supporter, feel free. Every dollar counts. So even if you throw in five bucks, um, I'll leave a link in the show notes. Every dollar counts. I'm very thankful for each of them. But big thank you to Hammer Nutrition, Sufferfest Beer, um, Destination Trail, Ultimate Direction, Exoskin, Kogallo has been awesome. I really enjoyed their light. Lucky Poles has hooked me up with a bunch of stuff. Rabbit sent me a bunch of shorts and a bunch of gear. So thank you, Rabbit. And yeah. Get ready. You think uh, the Triple Crown was epic. I think 2020, we might have found possibly something that excites me equally as much, maybe even more. So stay tuned. And yeah, that's my race recap for the Moab 240. Hope, hope you enjoyed it. Thank you.